Okay, so we, we just did uh, some intros and uh, acknowledged each other. And I wanted to ask folks, I have a, it's a 40 minute video. So I don't know if you want to listen to it, but it's from Tanya herself about this. And uh, it's open to the public. So it's definitely one of those ones that we could watch. And um, if you're all comfortable with that, I can screen share and we can all listen to it together if you'd like. Thumbs up. All right. And I see this share. All right, and I'm just going to do a quick double check to see if the uh, share sounds working. All right, let's give this a go. <sighs> uh, nice to see you. Nice to see you. Thanks for having me here. Sorry, that was me. I was going to somehow mute myself. Then I yeah, um, oh, just a little pre-warning that are explicit. I just want to make sure you're okay because, and I won't read the story about what I was gonna read, which I really am uncomfortable reading around um, one too small, but um, I'll, I'll find other things to read, which is fine. How old are you, my dear? Nine, my baby's seven. I have another one who's 16. So I'll try to keep it um, in the right place for you. Yeah. I think my 15 year old's older than me sometimes. <laughs> All right, um, this book, Split Tooth, uh, it was a little bit of a shock to, to have anything published because I, I, it was basically my diary and a diary of ideas that I had uh, from my early childhood all the way up into my 40s. So when uh, I never considered myself an author, and I suppose maybe that's... The number one thing I would say, uh, I was never trained in writing or never trained in music, and I think that we should never um, put ourselves in boxes. We should never think we are not good enough to do what we feel we can do. And then um, I'm also very thankful for people who do a lot of training and a lot to be experts. <laughs> um, I'm just getting used to doing uh, these readings. It's really easy for me to do concerts because I can just get up on stage and scream and not use, lyri uh, not use any lyrics. The interesting thing about the book is that it's the, the opposite. It's just my brain and uh, not, not so much my feelings. So I think that's why it was scary and why it can be scary. So um, I don't know if people are familiar with my work or not. What's oh, hot up here? Um, I don't know who's familiar with my work, but I'm from the very, very, very high Arctic. Excuse me. The best part is that she does some singing throughout this as well. As she uh, up her. in the top of Canada. My mother uh, was born and raised in an igloo. We're uh, from so high in the Arctic and then uh, the government wanted to take hold, so the Inuit were forced into communities. That happened by um, slicing up our kayaks, killing our sled dogs, giving us identification numbers, and ensuring that we were declared Canadian citizens just for money. And as we watched this entire world decline, our environment decline, and our spirits and health decline for money, I just hope that by the end of this, 
we have a little bit of clarity in the beauty of our humanity and how lucky we are to be sitting here side by side with our bodies together and how we can work together to try to leave a better earth for our children and to teach each other how to respect each other once again because we've forgotten how to respect our planet. Um, this is all very crucial to me and one thing I'm noticing from touring to these 38 countries is that there are always, there's always beauty in the people that we meet and love and that we can get sick from focusing too much on um, the news or your president. <laughs> and uh, uh, I, I just hope that uh, we can find a better way. So because my mother was born in such a place and I grew up in Nunavut, which is this vast land of 90 million square kilometers with less than 50,000 people scattered across it. I am very familiar with my land, or well, not mine, the land. Um, it's a little bit of an opposite be belief where I, I belong to the land, the land doesn't belong to me. And uh, we're still so isolated that outside of our tiny communities, we don't even need permission to build a cabin or permission to be on the land. And um, if you get a chance to read, read the book, there's um, some indication of that, of the 24-hour darkness and the 24-hour sun. In the summertime, we have three months of 24-hour sun around the solstice. And that's an incredible time for many things. Um, the the permafrost is it's going a little, is melting a little more every year. Things are changing around the way the animals migrate, and and then in the winter time we have three months of 24-hour darkness, and that's also a very magical time um, because it's the time of of silence, and it's the time where the cold feels like it wants to stop the warm in you. It's you have to protect yourself from the cold. And uh, I just wish that I could give everyone a little piece of what it feels like to live there and be there and the resilience of Inuit and who we are and how we live. And because, because the summer is so short and the Arctic sea ice sometimes is over 10 feet in the winter time, there's no vegetation. So our land, um, everything we live, our clothing, it all came from animals. And we have a very close relationship with animals and uh, don't consider ourselves above them, right? In, in fact, it, it can, we can find some of them more important than us. So living and traveling around this world with all, all the different culture and all the different ideas. Hopefully, before I die, I can siphon a little bit of the knowledge that m my mother and my grandmothers have given me and share it enough and glean ideas from you and knowledge from you too. Um, anyway, I'm gonna read some of my book <laughs> and I'm gonna keep it to nine slash 40 as much as I can. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <clears throat>
and uh, I'm sure we can figure that I'm out. I'm sure those of you who read the book know that okay. there are some parts that are very much not for nine-year-olds that huh. think they're 40. All right. <clears throat> Smells unleashed from the spring thaw lift us into a frenzied desperation for movement. The air is so clean you can smell the difference between smooth rock and jagged. You can smell water running over shale. Lichen smells sweet. The green lichen smells different from black. In the spring you smell last fall's death and this year's growth as the elder lichen shows the young how to grow. The freeze traps life and stops time. The thaw releases it. We can smell the footprints of last fall and the new decomposition of all who perished in the grips of winter. Global warming will release the deeper smells and coax stories out of the permafrost. Who knows what memories lie deep in the ice? Who knows what curses? Earth's whispers released back into the atmosphere can only wreak havoc. Sprigs of green begin to push their shy lives through the ice blanket. The songs of migratory birds are like alarms that waken us from the topor of winter. Life has arrived. The ice begrudgingly recedes, promising vengeance in a few short weeks. Winter always wins. The sun scoffs. Nothing can stop the cacophony of gluttony and procreation about to ensue. The sea ice is still strong, but the ponds have melted and are now open. The mosquito larvae swirl in their figure eights, hypnotizing and beautiful. A stark contrast to what they will be in a few days when their metamorphosis turns them into the cyclone of bloodthirst. I'm certain that if I ever had the opportunity to torture an enemy, they would find themselves naked on the tundra in mosquito season with their hands tied behind their back. As children in spring, we have the run of the town. Just as we have grown weary of our parents' company, they have been tolerating our frenetic housebound antics for half a year. The 24-hour sun is feeding our visions and keeping us warm. We run the dusty streets looking for adventure. Large gangs of kids and large packs of loose dogs roam the town. I wonder which group is more rabid. None of my friends have curfew, but I do. We must get our adventure done before 11. We leave town and come upon a smallish pond. It's about 50 meters long, half as wide. There are blue styrofoam pieces lying around, wind blown from construction sites from the last building season. We decide to play hero and use the flimsy pieces of styrofoam as boats. Considerations like the high winds, the near zero temperature, and the depth of the pond are carried away like bits of styrofoam. These things never occur to 11-year-olds. No one knows how to swim. We take turns paddling out with sticks as paddles, our little bodies balancing precariously on our wobbling blue vessels. 
the wind picks up. One of us inevitably gets blown out too far. His makeshift paddle grossly inadequate to get him back to shore. He is the smallest of the group. He always was. Meek, quiet, and always smiling. No wolves picked on him because he was so good-natured. He was the prettiest of the boys, and the girls carried either a maternal instinct or a quiet crush on him. We kissed once, his mouth small and soft, his tongue slow. The wind pushes him out deeper. If he falls in, he will drown. Everyone knows this. Nobody speaks. We let the wind do the howling as his little face grows worried. He is in the middle of the pond now. His thin windbreaker is flapping up against him, revealing protruding ribs and a slight shiver. I can see his slightness, sense his vulnerability. The only sound is the wind and the flapping fabric of our clothing. His face becomes perfectly calm, more calm than normal. He looks like a serene old man. He looks like everything is all right. The wind gusts and the styrofoam tips to one side and then the other, but his body knows what to do. I see him take a deep breath and his breath steadies his ride. He's close to the far side now. I see his hands shake as he dips his stick back into the water. He's safe. He's reached the other side. His eyes look more grown up. We have witnessed him become a man. We all cheer. It's past 11. I rush home. We made it our styrofoam game. The next week, seven kids drowned in a larger pond close to the airport after using a water tank cut in half as a boat. We never played our styrofoam game again. into violence. Exhale large fears and large words. They tumble back onto you. It's easy to get buried by our own mirrors. Inhale small fears and they whisper and travel to your mind. Observe them and thank them for trying to protect you. Exhale acknowledgement of the beauty within your instincts and the courage to love small fears. Inhale hard love, suck in the smell and reward, reap, eat, chew, swallow, devour all the goodness and love that is given to you. Exhale calmness and acknowledgement of the beauty within the courage it takes to not fear love. 
negotiation of what to buy, we, we left with two giant plastic bags of junk food. Cokes, M&Ms, salt and vinegar potato chips, the weird pink popcorn with an elephant on the package, Popeye cigarettes, and even a few real cigarettes. We lit the cigarettes behind the old A-frame house near the playground hoping that our mothers would not see us. We had already been caught smoking under the porch while eating a bottle of Flintstones vitamins earlier that summer. Nobody was happy with us on that day. I was aware of being the bad influence, but I could never keep you from following me from place to place. Sometimes I would trick you and run away and then feel bad and come back your little tear-stained face making me feel like I had no soul. I never let you tag along while hanging out with the big boys because we were always up to no good. You were too small for all of that chaos. I did my best to protect you. I still do. It was getting late, but it didn't matter. The 24-hour sun was blazing high in the sky, and the cold wind kept us alert. Three months of bright light meant that there was no curfew, no time constraints. We wanted an adventure, which usually meant a hike out of town. There were a few interesting places we could go on our trek, considering the vastness of the tundra. The river was relatively close, where we would balance a two-by-four between the jagged rocks of the rapid and cross, praying our makeshift bridge would not falter. We could go to the beach. The shore was ripe with seaweed and their treasures. Remember that time we found a sea snake, its bloated corpse so cold and lonely? The playground was all right but inevitably one particular gas-sniffing jerk would come along and pester us. Best to get out of town. We, mo we marched out on our own, feeling like big girls, teenage girls. You trailed behind on your tiny legs. We headed for Signal Hill. Making it to the transmission tower was good, but I wanted the cliffs. It was a steep climb and our breath was heavy when we reached the top. We ate half our food as we sat on the summit, 
our feet dangling over the precipice as we kept our eye out for polar bears. My uncle used to slide down this hill in the winter. I remember thinking that he was the coolest and hoped that I would be brave enough to take risks like him when I grew up. We decided to try to make it to Nine Mile Lake. It seemed like just a few kilometers from the top of the hill. This is when I learned that on the tundra, everything is much farther than it seems. The treeless expanse lends itself to illusion. We could handle it. The most daunting task was passing the seagulls' nests. There was no going around them. We had to run through their nesting zone. Courage does not come easily, and we run as quickly as possible. Your little hand in mine. Seagulls scream and dive when you get near their nests. I held my fist up to the sky and waved it as we ran, so they would go for the highest point of contact. I could feel their beaks pecking through my thin glove. We ran as quickly as we could, even losing a few bags of chips from our precious rations. We were red-faced and laughing when we made it through. I will never forget your sweet little face that day, proud and exhilarated with our accomplishment. I carried your heart in mine. I still do. The tundra is sparse, rocky, no trees and hardly any dirt. The lichen takes hundreds of years to grow. They grow and die and eventually collect to make up the soil. We were surrounded by shale rock, dry and sharp under the feet. The clean and hollow crackle of walking on shale is still one of my favorite sounds. We lifted a piece of plywood and found a snow bunting's nest under it. Three bald baby birds screamed at us. They were so small newly hatched. The veins under their still-closed eyelids were purple and throbbing, their necks barely strong enough to hold up their heads. Shrill cries filled the air, and a panic arose. We wanted to make them happy. Were they hungry? We opened up the elephant popcorn. We fed the little mouths. In horror, we watched as each one of them choked on the popcorn and died. We could see the kernels through their little transparent throats. There was nothing we could do. The mother came back from her insect hunt and made us cry even harder. We left in defeat, feeling like demons and hoping neither of us would speak of it again. I made the biggest mistakes with you. I still do. Finally arriving at Nine Mile Lake, we were thankful that the wind had died down a bit. We were relieved because polar bears can't smell you as easily. The water was fast and clean. Thirst is easily quenched by fresh Arctic water. Around the periphery of the lake, there were small ponds that held baby trout. I trapped one and put it in my mouth. I let it swim down my esophagus. Its tail tickled all the way down to my tummy. It was delightful. The flesh was so fresh. Something awoke in me, an old memory, an ancient memory of eating live flesh. It is a true joining of flesh to flesh. 
my spine straightened. When flesh is eaten life, you glean the spirit with the energy. That's why wild predators are so strong. The farther away you get from the time of death, the less energy meat carries. We pretended to be seagulls, not even chewing the fish and feeling them swim down our throats. We gorged ourselves on them. The energy of the fish's life was readily absorbed into my body, and its death throes became a shining and swimming beacon into the sky. If we acted like seagulls, then perhaps we could transform into them, screaming and soaring. We would fly home. Something is lurking, something sideways, something hollow, something pasty and shallow, something jittery, something slow, sucking on mud and filled with woe. Something is stirring, something full, something thick and cold, something imperceptible, something unseen, something war-driven, something obscene. It makes me want to hide in blankets and make bad choices. It makes me want to destroy what's in front of me. It can only be freed with tears. grips, I show you my teeth, 
through a mouth mostly open, molars lost in whimpers, tongue smooth, sharp tooth, giant tooth, numbed by lost fists, I show you my teeth, picked up off the floor, split tooth, growl tooth, dead tooth. This tapestry has not been woven by accident. Silken deception. Falsehoods twisted into each fiber. The blue water lost to a sea of red. Red tide. Poisonous intent disguised by the shine of the thread. When we weave, we weave past longing, past glory, past greed. Weave the hunger, weave the need to conquer, to vanquish, to quell with quill seed. We plant ideas with bullets, we heed, we raise fists, we draw fine lines to hold each other up against the ships. Sails, canvas, sorry, story, silk, survival is the only guide. We weave our own sinew, make a net to catch those not yet dead those drowning on dry land. We will harvest the truth. We will collect the rent. This tapestry is being rewoven. this year 
It usually happens in a four to seven year cycle, all dictated by the rains and melt. Plenty of rain means that the lemmings and their young are forced above ground, where they are easy prey for the fox pups. If too many foxes survive, there won't be enough food for them when winter comes along. They populate the dump, and all garbage cans in town are full of them. I once saw five foxes in one rusted garbage can. Some become rabid, and then all of the children need to walk to school carrying a stick, preferably with a nail in it. All of the houses in Nunavut must be built on stilts because the permafrost makes it impossible to sink foundations. The space under the house makes a perfect hiding place for foxes. Foxes are such steadfast and mysterious creatures. If a wolf and a lynx made it, perhaps their love child would be fox, who seems to embody the uncanny agility and size of a cat coupled with the strength and durability of a canine. My friend Eugene had to get rabies shots in his tummy after being bitten. It did not look pleasant. I was proud of him for not crying. <laughs> Let's avoid rabies. My father and I go out with a handgun to kill some foxes, satisfying dry cracks and snaps of sound as this gun goes off. I feel like a hero for an instant saving the foxes from a slow death of starvation. My father is strong, self-assured. I hope that someday this fortitude emerges in my fragile psyche. The foxes run, the foxes die. I mourn them, but I understand that there is danger in mourning for those who would not mourn for you in return. Empathy is for those who can afford it. Empathy is for the privileged. Empathy is not for nature. Our family had dogs that would have to be buried or put out of their misery. My father always took care of his work, even if it was mercy killing our family pets. He did it without allowing room for regret. He just did it, like how we are all born, like how we will all die. No choice, only action. These foxes will die of starvation. Better to put them out of their misery. These foxes will harm school children. Better to put them out of their misery. These humans will destroy the earth. Better to put them out of their misery. Right now we are earth eaters, but I want to be a blood lover, an oil spewer, someone with a great wingspan, a spirit sipper, a flesh licker. I want it all. I kill a mountain of foxes in my dreams. Mercy killings, but I do enjoy it. Speaking of tonight's dream, the sky is a kind of orange that only happens in the fall after the midnight sun begins to retreat. Rolling hills of sandstone rock look like pages of books making it impossible to walk except for thin paths of spines or else you lose your balance. The path is guarded by sentries 
hundred-foot-tall polar bears who are all facing south. I must pass them one by one. I'm terrified, but know it must be done. These are beasts of protection and warning. I'm thankful they remain still as I meekly seek passage through their domain. The sun is setting, and the sky is crisscrossed with airplanes, each leaving plumes of thick gray sickness. None of the planes can fly past the line of centuries. One half of the sky lives while the other half dies. Dead skies. The centuries can only hold the balance for so long. We are the land, same molecules, same atoms. The land is our salvation, save our souls. The land is our salvation. Breathe, guia, feel. Empathy is for those who can afford it. Ice will crack, blood will flow, sun in ice. Ice in lung, speaker of tongues. There are so many ways to be empty. Ice in lung, flush of cheek, blood in mouth. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty incredible to um, listen to that. I'm sorry. I to uh, stop this before it keeps talking. So um, that was artidea.org. And uh, this was an event that had happened in uh, 2019. Obviously, just about before that pandemic in July, and the International Festivals of Arts and Ideas, I think it was US based based off of the point she made about um, Trump, their president. <laughs> So um, I thought uh, we could probably just go around and talk about um, the book from your point of view and uh, how lovely it was to hear it from her uh, world and view and, and hear it from her voice, telling it in a way that she she would say it. So um, I guess we'll just go in order. And Katie, I know that you always say, oh, I don't really, you know, I'm just here. But if you want to chime in, you're more than welcome to. Sure. Um, I didn't read the book, uh, but I have seen Tanya perform before and she's just an amazing artist and has just, uh, I don't even know how to explain the kind of energy that she brings, but um, yeah, she's just like a beautiful person. Um, so thanks for sharing that video. I've already sent it to a few of my colleagues. So um, thank you. <laughs> um, great. Awesome. Well, thank you. And Kat, uh, Elizabeth, and then Rosemary, and then we'll go Kate just down the list of uh, the participants. Yes, thank you for sharing that video. It was incredible to hear her not only speak her own words, but to sing in her own language, too. That was amazing. Um, this book was so powerful for me. Um, there was so, so much that really moved me and touched me and damaged me and opened me up. And um, she creates such vivid imagery. It's just, it just stays with you. So yeah, this book will be with me a long time. You know, um, one of my favorite 
the things that makes me cry every single time I watched it. Maybe 2016-ish, um, the Junos had an opening of all the Indigenous um, artists and they had like a tribe called Red and Angela Galejo from Calgary here was dancing and, and a lot of our, our folks were there and she finished it actually and uh, was wearing a beautiful red dress and um, I would be really remiss if I didn't say that uh, the dedication uh, for this particular book was both to um, missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls and survivors of residential schools, um, you know, because she she really, um, well, it, you know, it's hard. I get some of the interviews mixed up and I watched two or three other ones that um, if they were more focused on the book, I probably would have played them. But, um, you know, I just I thought it was important for her to kind of read the book from her point of view and in her words. And she's so sensual in everything she says and does. And, um, you know, she's quick to point out that her singing isn't traditional in the sense that um, if it was traditional, it would be with another person and they would be trying to make each other laugh. But um, I think we all agree that artistic freedom that she uses is such a beautiful, um, you know, tribute to her culture, but also really opens up our eyes. And just to share a story, I remember I was leaving Arts Commons and they had one of her songs on the, on the intercom. And there were a group of girls behind me that were making fun of it and saying, I can't believe somebody would be like having sex and blah, blah, blah. And I finally turned and I said, that's actually Inuit throat singing that you're hearing. And I got home and they obviously knew who I was because I had gotten three separate uh, white fragility tier settlers letters saying, oh my God, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. And it's like, whatever, obviously you have no concept. So um, I tried to, to be nice about it, but it was the point that, you know, people are so judgmental of, of her and her work and uh, it's not mainstream, unfortunately. So, you know, I know we're kind of preaching to the choir here, but for a lot of folks, they'll probably have never heard her music before. So, but that one particular Juno um, opening was one, one of the most impactful ones I had ever seen and I was bawling because um, my generation never had positive representation. We certainly never opened the Junos before. And uh, I was at the uh, Justice for Jackie walk and I was talking to Deb and I said, uh, you know, this generation, they don't know how lucky they are to have representation. You're talking about Rutherford Falls and uh, reservation dogs. And, you know, so I'm, I'm just really honored. She's one of those contributors. I think she's such, she's so strong on Twitter. You know, she absolutely inspires me to be stronger because uh, of her strength. And I don't know if folks know, but she has uh, regular hate. Um, one of the interviews I almost was going to play for us was shorter and it, uh, it talked, um, we've done as a collective group years ago, The Right to be Cold. Um, and that book really emphasizes in uh, Inuit rights in hunting. And, uh, you know, she regularly gets attacked for talking about Inuit um, sustaining themselves with seal hunting. And uh, she said some of the worst hate she ever got was from that uh, picture that she took of her baby beside a dead seal and uh, called it a selfie. Like instead of selfie with a seal and uh yeah she's got years and years of hate from uh you know progressive people who are, are vegans etc cetera, etc cetera. so she's really an uh, inspirational person for myself and many other folks and i think um, she gives such a like shining light on the inuit with with her ways so 
um, I didn't mean to go off so much. Elizabeth, um, you're next if you uh, feel comfortable unmuting yourself and talk about uh, the video that we just watched and or the book, whatever you feel comfortable. I'll try to borrow the book from the library, but I haven't read it, so I'll pass. Thanks so much, Elizabeth. Uh, Rosemary, would you like to go next? Rosemary, you're muted. I Hi, I did read the book and I kept thinking, I know, I know this author, like I knew, I knew the name. And so I looked it up and, and the minute I saw her throat singing, it all came back because I also have seen her in performance. And there was something about this book that really resonated. And I don't know if people here ever saw the video of her, the, the animism video that takes place in the North. And I, I felt as if many of the same themes came out of that video that were expressed in this book. I, I think she's profound. I, I'm just taken aback by, I can't see her that well, but she looks so young and so small. I don't know how tall she is. And, and yet her, what comes out of her is so powerful and so deep. And um, I, I, I loved how she interwove the throat singing with the reading. Uh, I think at the beginning, she <clears throat> really expressed many of the themes that come through in the book. And um, th there's something about that throat singing and it really, again, really comes through in the video animism. It, it takes you to another place, I feel. I feel transported somewhere. And it's almost a little, I'll be honest, I, it's almost a little scary because you don't know what's there um, and what's coming at you. And it is very sensual. And I think some scenes are erotic and just so beautifully written. Just, I'll end there. Uh, Rosemary, I was on the CBC and they were talking about the number one bestseller still are ro romance. And uh, I'm sure that was never her intention in writing it. But, you know, I think um, there's a there's a niche there that I bet you she could really get into if she chose to. But uh, <laughs> um, Kate, uh, she, her, would you like to unmute yourself? Hey. To start, I the um, at the beginning of that video you played, I was and when she was describing the North and describing uh, both her experiences and her mother's experiences, it it was a reminder how little I know about the North and also I just I'm just really learning about how recent the colonization of the North is. Um, and in the book, I was the you, Michelle. You mentioned how little, how so much of the book is not appropriate for a nine-year-old going on forty. Um, and yeah, even the beginning, I was 
shocked by how ubiquitous the sexual violence was and like no escape everywhere she went as a child. Um, and then as the book goes on, how bodily the descriptions are, like when she was reading about the smell of the lichen even. Um, yeah. Even, and especially in the spirit world, how bodily those experiences are in the book. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I am. Um, I, I was saying before we got started, um, I've been reading a lot about Sean Shu and uh, I've unfortunately been seeing the gymnastics that people are pulling to somehow justify what he has mm -hmm. done. And, uh, you know, it's, it's no wonder that so many of our women have no place to run to, turn to, go to mm -hmm. in a society that just so happily explains away um, sexual violence against people and women. Um, it's, it's awful. Obviously, leading into why we'll have to start unpacking the National Inquiry, uh, 231 Calls to Justice. Mm -hmm. um, Kind of back to another point that you had said about how recent colonization was, um, you know, it, the, the Inuit have such an interesting story. Um, I was recently gifted the Canadian Geographic uh, Atlas for Indigenous people, and there's a whole section for just that. Um, there's a wonderful documentary, The Angry Anuk. Um, that's a really great book. It talks, or, or sorry, documentary that talks about some of the um, issues but the right to be cold I just I can't mm -hmm. recommend it enough I mm -hmm. read it once um, Sheila the uh, author had come to Mount Royal and my daughter was lucky enough to meet her and mm -hmm. uh, we got to hear her speak and um, I'm sure if you were to even google the author she's an international rights advocate she speaks on behalf of Canada um, well on um, behalf of the Inuit more so she um, um, you know, we should, we've had private conversations about how the Canadian government has treated her and how it, it was the United Nations that ended up inviting her rather than the Canadian government, especially the one that was so called for reconciliation uh, to speak at the United Nations. So, you know, there's so much to unpack when it comes to the history of the Inuit. And, uh, you know, even my daughter, I, I haven't had the heart to tell her what the Canadian government has done to the Inuit's dogs because uh, the Satu Dene we had a, a breed of dogs um, and they are now extinct and uh, you know I think of the Inuit and being forced to watch the Canadian government kill their dogs has been something that's always struck me and uh, she, she mentioned it but she didn't actually call it they, they were called Eskimo tags and they were just like a dog tag that they put on that all Inuit had, um, you know, we don't talk about that as part of our history when we need to. We can't have reconciliation without it, that's for sure. So, um, and I, I guess another point I'd make is that uh, my, my family is Northern Slavey Dene, so very far north. And I've asked my family, what is the difference between Inuit and the Satu Dene? And they just told me the tree line. I mean, obviously we have different customs and language but um, we're so close. And in Yellowknife, the Inuit, the Dene, and the Métis, they're so tight-knit. And uh, we're just uh, right now applying for my daughter's status thanks to the changes of S3 and me finally getting over the hump. 
the mental hump that it takes to do this. Um, so we're going to be submitting her paperwork, but I know if uh, she gets rejected that uh, she'll be considered yellow knife um, Métis by our standards, our definition of it up north, which I really am seeing the Métis fighting over that. And I, it's a very difficult um, position to be in when you know that your daughter is as native as anybody else's, but uh, because I come from my mother who comes from my grandmother rather than you know, my uncles and my male cousins don't have this problem with status that we do. So that sex-based legislation is so rampant and so problematic. Um, anyway, who is next? We got Kate, we have Kat, Elizabeth, uh, Katrona. Would you like to unmute? And then- Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing the video. Um, I, I've listened to Tanya's music before, but I'd never heard her speak. Um, and I found her voice so expressive and so um, beautiful the way that she um, <laughs> was speaking. Um, and it really just, you know, like I've read the book and I'd read the sections that she was reading from, but to hear her speak it in her own voice was really different and really amazing. Um, yeah, I think that's all I want to say for now, but thank you. Oh, that sounds great. Thanks so much for sharing. Marnie, I invite you to unmute and talk about the book and the video from your point of view. Thanks, Michelle. Um, I actually, when I finished that book, I was so fascinated that I went and watched that video that we just saw. And seeing it again was also great. And I agree, her reading it and the singing. And I'd actually seen her, it was years and years ago, um, performing. I don't remember where it was or anything except here in Mokinstis, but she was on stage and behind her, she was projecting that black and white movie, Nanook of the North, mm. which is a magnificently racist piece of crap about the Inuit people that was done by the white explorers looking at these marvelous Inuit people and how cute they are that they didn't know what a phonograph was. Um, and that was right, I mean, this is the part I remember of that whole movie. And that was right after they had shown how the Inuit use knives made of whale bone to cut the ice and build an igloo and how they could use their way of knowing about the ice to make windows in the igloo and how they stayed warm enough in there that they didn't need to wear a lot of clothes because the igloo was so well. And then they talk about the phonograph. I just, anyway, so it had a very big impact and her whole point, she stood in front of this and it was black and white and old, uh, like not talk film, it was with with letters because it wasn't with sound and because it's so old. And she throat sang in front of that to reclaim, to reclaim her people and her culture. And it was very powerful. Mm. The thing that I love this book, I absolutely loved it. I got it out of the library, but tonight I've decided I have to buy it. I, I, I need, because there's so much poetry in it, right? And you can, you can just read the poems. And I think what I loved most about this book is that I want to say the brain that wrote it. I don't know. I mean, I don't mean to, to limit her to a brain, but the, the perspective that wrote that is completely different from mine. Completely. 
I could feel that difference. And it was like, it was a tremendous gift to be able to see that perspective, to, to smell rocks and to, to uh, give birth to the Northern Lights. And I mean, it was all, it was, so I loved that part about it. And um, yeah, I could feel my brain stretching and it hasn't gone back to its old self again. So that's awesome. Oh, what a wonderful review. Holy. Uh, Penny, I invite you to unmute yourself. Well, I was am not familiar, wasn't familiar with um, Tanya until I read this book. And when I first started reading it, and I'm a voracious reader, <laughs> but um, when I first started reading it, I was, I don't know, 50 pages in and I thought, wow, I think I need somebody to put me in a class and explain this to me. And um, maybe Marnie would have been the person to do it, <laughs> having listened to her. But as I got into it, I, I um, really, really am impressed by her power of words, like not only her prose, but in particular, the poetry spoke to me. I really enjoyed the poetry. And there were some parts that, that I obviously the imagery and some parts of the story, is that something that actually happened to her? Is, and I was interested to hear her say that this started out as her diary because that sort of put things into perspective, right? And it makes you wonder about how she became this powerful person that she is today um, with all the, the, the violence that I suspect she lived through as a child, right? And yet there were some parts that um, listening to her read, I kind of wish I had her read the book to me and then it would have made a lot more sense. But um, some of her descriptions of her childhood and, and it struck me tonight again as how kids are kids the world over, right? They sort of all do the same things. Um, stealing money so that you can go and buy junk food, like that's sort of a, a universal thing. Uh, so yeah, she's, she's such a powerful person. And uh, I was really moved by reading the book, particularly her poetry. Yeah, no, she's just a, an artist, like through and through, isn't she? Mm -hmm. Incredible. Thank you so much, Penny. Um, Shelly, I invite you to unmute. Um, this book was uh, really impactful because I tend not to read not fiction. Uh, I read a lot of nonfiction um, or memoirs or classic literature because I want to know why it's classic, why everybody seems to think it's classic. I have to have my own opinion. <laughs> um, I really liked it. I found it hard. Like she's really good. Like that's what I found hard is with my brain, my neurodiverse brain is differentiating like from the, besides the obvious stuff that wasn't was fiction, but um, like what wasn't fiction? Like that was really hard for me. I couldn't determine like what was a fiction, what wasn't. Cause I could see that from what I've understood and what I've learned in reading the Truth and Reconciliation um, reports and listening to a lot of stories and listening to and reading a lot of Indigenous books over the past, since 2016, I can see some of that happening. Um, 
So I think she she's a really good author and it really hit me some of the things she said. And I do have some tags, but I talk a lot, so I'm gonna let somebody else talk. No, that's okay, Shelly. Does anybody else want to add or do you, does anybody want Shelly to uh, continue? Yeah, everyone wants you to continue, Shelly. I thought that like, it was, it was very interesting because um, how she talked about addiction, but she didn't really, it didn't, I'm in the middle um, of putting stuff together, uh, an ableist language document for uh, something at work and a book list for disabled, or not disabled, like a disabled book list or disability book list, sorry, and an indigenous book list. And the way she's talking, I found it wasn't negative. Like she didn't put it in a negative connotation, like the way I didn't read it as much as negative as like it was around like it seemed a little how do I word it she wasn't so negative around it like it seemed a little more it wasn't positive but she wasn't so it wasn't the person's fault it was more the 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 what was around the person it wasn't like a uh it wasn't the person's fault it was environment not not sorry it wasn't as negative as let me say settlers to talk about addiction. If that may, if I'm trying to, that's what I'm trying to say. Like she had a different lens um, that it was, it wasn't great, but addictions talked very negatively. And I don't think she went there. Mm. That's great. And I think it is a really important point to make because, um, you know, I, I talk about um, culturally sensitive addiction services and we just, in Alberta especially, we not only not just fund, not fund it, but we purposely fund uh, Christian type um, addiction services, which is the very organization that caused a lot of the trauma which ends up with the addiction. So it's counterproductive, counterintuitive, uh, but it's really good for colonialism and genocide. That's the positive part if you uh, are a mass murderer and just hate natives. So, you know, um, that's it, it is important to bring up this point because, um, you know, in addiction, I mean, nobody wants to be in addiction, but nobody wanted the trauma that led to the addiction either. And um, I think, you know, she's really intuitive to talk about it in those terms, knowing where they came from you know land displacement um and that uh loneliness i mean at one point in time you know I, the suicide component about um the up north and her just outright saying you know uh, maybe that needs to be exterminated as human beings as we um you know ruin mother earth and and we will that's the irony and you know mm -hmm. we could we could possibly do it as humans through policy but regardless mother earth will make that final decision for us um yeah. as we uh you know lollygag our way through climate change so and I, I liked how she never called like um with the the language i'm talking about it, she didn't perpetuate stereotypes like she never said dirty like and that's what like with addictions she's it, it just she didn't i didn't feel like she perpetuated any stereotypes that people talk about when they talk about addiction and i i'm very thankful that she didn't because that's not what we need and she's very mindful 
And I just talked, I just watched a, a movie called Dark Waters and I, it brought me right back to the, um, the Sheila, it's uh, her book that it's right to be cold mm-hmm. because it talked about it, the forever chemicals. And I just, I just brought back to none of it or none of it. I cannot, I can't talk. Um, that the chemicals are up there and in their food yeah. and how are they supposed to live and eat without that chemicals being in their food? Yeah, exactly. No, we're uh, so complicit in allowing this poisoning to happen. And of course, when we talk about environmental racism, you know, this is such a great example of it and why it's so important for folks like Sheila to speak on behalf of the Inuit, right? Um, Rather than someone like myself talking on behalf of, um, you know, it's ridiculous how how this is working, the system, I tell you. So yeah, any other lasting thoughts? And, I, um, and then I'll move into the next uh, books and such. Okay. Nope, don't see any. I, on, go ahead, Rosemary. I, I felt that, um, I mean, I, I could be wrong, but, but I, but I oh, of course I can be wrong, but I felt that what came, I can. <laughs> I, I felt that what came through so strongly, like what gives her her power in her singing and the power of her words is her connection to the land, is her spirituality, is, is she so grounded, right, in her, in her culture, even as it's being, you know, transformed around her, that, that that's what brings, um, yeah, the profoundness and the, and the power of what, of what she does. And, and I, I hope I hope she's going to write more and keep singing. And I, I hope we all get to share that. And in some ways, it rem- you know, I, I think of some of the, um, like, you know, it's sculptural pieces. Again, there's that sense of, there's something else there in many of those pieces. It's not just a sculpture. It's really reflecting that connection to the land and spirituality. Yeah, that's enough for me. No, I, I'm just on her Twitter because she's killer on Twitter. And uh, she has a, a new record coming out called Tongues. And um, it's so funny. Like, I don't know if you can see the, the cover there. It might not really show that well, but it's basically like a tongue going like out like this. So I'm sure it'll be super exciting. Anyway, she's saying that we can pre-order it now. And, um, you know, just putting that out there because she's just an amazing, amazing artist and those who are lucky enough to see it, holy lucky, um, you know, I'm going to say I've seen Jeremy Dutcher and I cried like a freaking baby watching that whole show. I wasn't expecting it. Um, I wasn't expecting to mourn the language I didn't have. That's why I cried like a baby through the entire thing. And he's such a beautiful person and artist and he brought it out so clearly. Um, Another thing, Tanya, she's a really strong advocate for missing and murdered indigenous women, girls and two-spirit. So like I I definitely honor her and she's fabulous. And in her Twitter handle here, in her description, she says, manifest blasphemy. (laughs) She's just like that. So I love her to pieces and I'm grateful that um, my daughter and so many others have her to look up to um, as we, you know, figure out this whole reconciliation thing. (laughs) Um, So the next uh, 
section of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission that we're going to be working on for our next book club is the newcomers. So the last two, uh, 93 and 94. And, um, and then I was hoping we could throw in Call Me Indian by Fred Sasakamoos because that's my uncle and I've been dying to read this book. So I'm hoping we can do that. What is our one after that? So um, yeah, that's the plan so far, I think. And I think Kate did from the library. I'm certain that's what I had sent you, but just in case, do you, do you have any conflicting, um, did I, did I tell you one thing basically, and now I'm saying another? <laughs> I don't think we had a December title from you, but okay. this is perfect. I will put that into our, um, our website so folks can register for it. Right on. Okay. Thank you so much. And then we'll go from there. And Again, if anybody um, has any uh, books that they absolutely want to read, just let me know, put it in the chat, and we'll try to get that one for um, afterwards. And I, I was going to kind of throw it at you all that after we're done the 93 and 94 calls to action, um, I, I really have seen the lack of understanding on Métis issues about TRC, and there's a whole book to it. So I was hoping that maybe that could be our book after we're done the 93 and 94. And there is another book on the Inuit that we could do as well before we go on to uh, the national inquiry. So I'm just going to kind of let that sit with you guys and see if you're comfortable with that. And then uh, and then we can go from there. That's the thing about the book club, like it can evolve. But at the same time, it's like, but I don't want to miss this. And I don't want to miss this. So, <laughs> uh, so we have like seven minutes until we have to call it and go into elections and, and wonder who is going to be our next mayor and all of those wonderful things. So I was wondering if beforehand, yeah, uh, Shelly, I'll open it up to anybody who has any lasting things that they want to say. I was just wondering who are, who's the mother, daughter who do the throat singing? I can't remember names. I can't remember offhand, sorry. No, are they, they've been on the news. I remember it was in the summer. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. It's important, I think, uh, when we're talking about um, an Anuk author and talking about the North and talking about these things, I think it's important to bring it up as much as we can. Um, I was thinking of, was it Susan McGlarker? She's like, she's been like the Inuit singer for decades actually that came out of there so and uh she i remember when she testified at the national inquiry that was tough that was tough to hear her have to share that publicly and uh, a lot of respect for her uh feeling the need to do that because it's tough especially if you're already a public figure to say those things so good on her um yeah any other lasting thoughts about the book club today yes. uh, just something that struck me after I finished the book was in, and she said it again tonight um, in her introduction, in spite of um, the violence and the things that you know are happening behind the scenes, I saw her book as very hopeful and very forgiving. And um, she did make reference to um, kind of walking side by side, right? That, that reconciliation would come with people trying to understand each other. And I think that's my takeaway from some of her poetry and that she, I mean, how can you create such beauty if you're holding on to the terrible things that have happened to you? So I see a lot of forgiveness perhaps in her, in her writing too. Wonderful. Thank you for those thoughts, Penny. Great. 
not a very lively crowd tonight, hey? I, I just want to say that I, I want to be careful for myself, not talking for anyone else, to jump to, to um, forgiveness and everything, because I think we still don't know the truth and as white people. And we, I think we really have to let that settle in us and be, um, be able to own it and to speak to it. And um, maybe hopeful is a better word than uh, like, I, I don't see this book as being a downer. No, um, maybe hopeful is a better choice of words that I see in her a lot of hope for the future in her writing, particularly. And, and, and so much beauty. Wow, so much beauty. And I agree with Marnie. I, I don't, I'm very passionate, like as people call autistic special interest. Is really my passion is disability and the intersection with other human rights and considering one third of indigenous people have disabilities probably a lot traced back to colonization and whatnot and the change of food which has been brought up in blanket tossed under the sun no blanket oh, anyways um, is that it's not to make people feel guilty because we can't change our past we can't change what our um our colon our colonizer root our ancestors did we can only change what we can do forward and make the world a better place and move forward with reconciliation. But we have to have truth first and realize that guilt isn't going to get us anywhere to, to show other individuals the truth of what actually happened because people are still denying the genocide that's happening. There's more kids in CFS care, which is child and family services care, than in residential school. And that's not a fact that many people know. And that is very sad. In the... Uh comments, I'm just going to put the National Crisis Line uh, 866-925-4419 for folks who um, might be watching this show but then feel a little overwhelmed with some of the content. Um, I find that my entire life seems to be like one of those like content warnings. So, um, you know, I, I talk about these things and I feel that she had to in her book because this is our reality, but sometimes I think um, people don't quite understand it all. Um, and just one other thing I wanted to throw at you because obviously you all care about reconciliation. Um, I was on the Ryan Jesperson show today and we talked a bit about land acknowledgements and um, talked a bit about uh, reconciliation. So I'm just going to copy the, find the YouTube link here and it just wants to play it and I don't want it to play how I move it so I don't hear it. Yeah, and then I'll give you all the link um, if you are to uh, get it anyway, but um, sorry, I can hear it in the background. I'm gonna try to stop it. So we don't have to hear his paid promotions there. So yeah, if you're interested, you can then uh, watch that. And yeah, take what you learned from this book, share it in your circles as we walk this path of reconciliation and. Yeah, thank you all for joining us tonight. And I look forward to seeing you in a month from now. Uh, Katie, I invite you to chat here. Well, on behalf of the Calgary Public Library, as always, thank you so much, Michelle, for bringing this program to um, a broader audience. And uh, I hope everyone here has a, a wonderful month ahead. I've, I've put the link in to register for the November program I accidentally wrote October here but it is on November 8th and um, Michelle I will put in that title that you just mentioned it uh, hopefully we'll get that up uh, by the end of the week so that's thank lovely. you everyone for joining us and have a, a wonderful rest of your night